Welcome to Full Stack Business Owner, where we're enhancing your full stack of skills to build wealth inside and outside of your business. Today, we are with Goose McGrath, our property portfolio growth partners. And we're actually going to be talking a little bit about Australia's economy, the property markets, and actually the opportunities that exist for everybody. So if you want to join the conversation, head over to Facebook, join the Full Stack Business Owner community, ask any questions. Goose is in there, I'm in there, Charlie's in there, and a whole bunch of other people as well. So let's uh, dive into the episode. But before we do, let's cue your infamous disclaimer, Charlie. Charlie here from Full Stack Business Owner. I need to let you know that Grant, myself, and the Full Stack Business Owner team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you financial advice or pick investment products. We highly encourage you seek out and engage the use of professionals when making financial decisions or comparing investment products. All right, Goose, for everybody playing at home, do you want to give us a very micro introduction? Because I know that you've been on here before. Micro introduction. Um, okay, so if you've been listening to any other episodes, you'll know already. Started, uh, started in business when I was 17, uh, worked in a different industry a few years ago, uh, got into the real estate sector after buying the wrong property in the wrong place at the wrong time, lost a bunch of money, thought, hang on a second, how does this work? How can we do this better? Realized loads of other people might have the same problem, tried to solve that problem for them. Uh, now have developed the most uh, advanced property research and acquisition system in the country and yeah, helping loads and loads of people to achieve their goals way faster. Now, for everyone listening, uh, just full disclaimer, uh, Goose and their team over at Dashdot are actually sponsors of the podcast and they have actually bought most, if not all, of my property as well as uh, Charlie's. So we actually use them as a service and as you'll hear throughout this episode, Goose knows what he's talking about. He's a very smart man. And so much so, like an energizer bunny, I just have to throw him a bone of a topic. So I'm just going to throw a topic out there and we'll just start riffing off it. So Goose, I'm curious, is the property market crashing and will Australia go into recession? Take that wherever you want to take it. It's quite funny because you make me sound like a like a like a, a dancing monkey. It's like just poke, we'll poke the bear. Right? Dance, 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 dance. <laughs> dance. Dance, dance. So is there, so what was the question? Is Australia gonna go into a recession? Yeah, is Australia gonna go into recession? And is the property market crashing? Um so or will there's it crash? Two, well, there's two questions there, right? So one is um, one is obviously about the recession, a bit of recession. I actually think that it's likely, yes, but I think I think everyone just needs a little bit of context around that, right? What is a recession, right? A recession is technically two quarters of negative GDP growth. We've had recessions recently. I think we had a recession, was it last year or the year before? Yeah, it was 2020. Right. Uh, 2020. Yeah. Right, so... All good, right? It's not. There's a big, massive difference between a recession and a depression, and I think that the reality of the the economy is that we poured a load of like we started driving really quickly in our in our economic vehicle. We poured a load of fuel into it, hit the gas, started going really fast, right? Probably have got a little bit, a few speed wobbles, i.e., inflation, right? Need to put the brakes on a little bit, right? That's probably kind of cause the engine to backfire a little bit, right? And then we'll be able to put the gas on again. So. And do I think it's likely that we'll end up in a uh, have a recession? Yeah, I do. But you also got to remember, you also got to like have that in context because two quarters of negative GDP growth is one thing, but you also got record low unemployment rate, right? So it's not like you know people hear the word recession and what they have in their mind's eye is pictures of people walking around the streets panhandling. I've got no money, help. It's like 
come on. Like we've got like we got we got unemployment with a three in front of it for crying out loud. Like, you know, we've still got four hundred and thirty billion dollars in savings in businesses and, and and personal bank accounts. You know, life's pretty good here. So could nationally our GDP productivity go, uh, go down? Sure, right? And would that be a response to interest rates and, and inflation, a load of other stuff? Sure. Um, but do I think that's the end of the world? No, I don't at all. I'm not. And again, kind of like the whole interest rate discussion, I'm not concerned about that. You know, it does like, you know, there's the consumer sentiment portion of it as a business owner. It's like, okay, how is that potentially going to affect people's spending behavior? But in the practicality of what that means, I'm not too worried about it. So I'm in the I'm in the same camp here. I just really think about this is like when business owners hear terms like recessions, mm. I think that they forget, hang on, you can still do really well in a recession. Yep. Yeah. While the country might experience a GDP decline, it's like your business can boom. You can actually grow. And do you know what? If your com- competition is over there stressing about it being a retes- recession, this might be your chance to take market share. Dude, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. I really couldn't agree more. So, um, as it stands today, as we record this, I think we could all agree that there's some economic uncertainty, right? So, you know, inflation's up, which is like the first time inflation's been up for that most of us can remember because it's been it's actually been below where it needs to be for a really, really, really long time. So, for the very first time, inflation is up for 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 a lot of people. It's the first time they've experienced it since they've been spending their own money, and it's maybe you know all of that kind of stuff. So it's like, oh my god, this is weird. And interest rates are up. Oh my god, that's the first time that's happened for, for what most of most adults, right? Like you know that can can remember. It's like, oh my god, this is all this is all different. But it's sort of like, you know, does that in the in the spectrum? Like, how how do, how do I play that? You know, I think that I think that people are overweighting what that means versus just making better decisions. Yep. And it was actually interesting when I was looking at the statistics that support this. Uh, Australia was so stable for like the six years leading up to the mm. pandemic from a from a GDP or a, a growth of Australian economy. It was like a 1% just consistently. Yeah. And this is like this blip on the radar of when it's gone down and then up with a whole heap of stimulus. And now it's kind of like, okay, well, where does this land from here? So like you would have seen in the news and mainstream media, property market's going to crash. This yeah. recession is going to smash us. I almost think that the messaging is we're going to go into a, a depression not a recession, right, which is the panhandling, et cetera, that you're referring to, Goose. Yeah, yeah. So if we hit a recession, property prices, property market, is that going to crash and everything's going to restabilize just like the share market did, just like crypto's done? Uh, people with businesses that sell discretionary products who might not have as much demand, like is this is this where it's going to go? Is property just the next domino to fall? No, I don't think so. So... Um, <laughs> Like in any, like in any, like in any uh, market. And back to kind of Charlie's point earlier. Like it can be a really good opportunity to to grow. Like depending because different businesses, different property markets, all of that kind of stuff behave differently, right? And so if you can use these opportunities where people are uh, not thinking clearly, let's just say that, right? You can use those opportunities to take more market share, grow, and and be better off for it, right? So, um. You've got to really think about what does a recession mean for property. So people get concerned about recessions or economic declines or financial uncertainty or economic uncertainty or any of these kind of periods because what they hear and see in the media is that everything's going down, everything's crashing, right? Often that um, sentiment is driven by share market declines, right? That's that's actually that's actually the thing 
that predicates the perception because it wildly fluctuates. And it's like, oh my God, the ASX is down by 5%. And, you know, so then people use that as a proxy for all of the businesses are crashing and failing and everyone's going to become unemployed and it's all going to go to hell in a handbasket, right? But that perception is just wildly incorrect, right? So, Firstly, if the value changes in a share market of 5% in a day, right, fairly certain that most of those underlying businesses haven't actually changed, right? It's just the perception of value or the perception of how people want to spend their money. So what does change is consumer sentiment and how they want to spend their money. So to your point, right, consumer discretionary spending, am I going to go and buy a luxury car? Maybe not. Um, Will I consider how often I'm eating out? Probably. You know, these kind of things. So when uh, when economic times are booming, luxury car sales and stuff go up because everyone's like, yeah, 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 look at me. Let's go buy a nice car. Let's go buy a bigger house and all of that kind of stuff. What happens when people uh, enter into an economically uncertain environment is that um, they then start thinking about what is the best way for me to use the resources that I have, right? What is the best way for me to use my time, my money, and my you know, and my knowledge, right? Because effectively, you only ever have three currencies as a business owner, as a non-business owner, whatever. Right? You've only ever got three currencies, all right? And that's that's time, money, and knowledge, right? And so you can then work out how you're going to distribute them in the in the most appropriate way. Now, the benefit of real estate, right, is that, and it's I know it sounds so cliche, right? Right, but it is it is safe, right? Safe as houses and all of that kind of stuff. And so what tends to happen when people feel uncertain is they then start going, okay, where can I put my money? Like if inflation's going up and the value of your cash is going down, do you want to keep it in the bank? Probably not. Are you going to put it into shares? Well, God, I mean, that seems like it's all going crazy and everything's failing. Do you want to put it there? Probably not. Are you going to put it in crypto? Oh my God, that's all going down and everything. Probably not, right? So then you get, you're really left with not many choices about how you're going to use your money, right? And certainly, you're probably not going to be thinking, let's go and buy, let's go and take, go, to go out to five-star restaurants every day if I'm not sure what the future is going to hold. You're going to be thinking about how can I best utilize that capital. So what tends to happen is people then have a flight to security. So one of the benefits we have in real estate, particularly in Australia, is that it's a, it's a good performing asset, but it's also really safe and really stable and it moves a lot slower, right? And so if you look at like, for example, Back in 87 in the stock market crash, then what happened to, what happened to real estate in 88, 89? 35% growth, right? What happened to, uh, during COVID, stock market crash? What happened to real estate? About 35% growth, right? So it's what tends to happen is people shifted. And we've actually seen this as well. Of people starting to come to us now and they're saying, I've been invested in shares, but actually it's, I'm really, I'm not, I'm not into it. I've cashed out all my shares and I need to go put them into something else. Let's go put it into real estate. Now, where it, does where it does get affected right is on that affordability spectrum so we actually did some research because um right when you know recently the, sh- the share market actually did crash by like five percent a day and all of that kind of stuff right and so it was like what is going on here and i'm not i'm a human being right i'm a human being just like you guys right so i said oh hang on a second i should pay attention to this what's going on here right and is this is this the start of a problem right not panic not freak out just like is this the start of another economic situation like the GFC, right? So walk with me here because I'm going to go through, I'm going to walk you through some research. So I went back and had a look at the national median sales price growth rates, right? So basically property market growth rates um, back to 1993. And I had a look at um, all of those trends. So we divide the country up into 15 regions. So greater capital cities and regional areas, right? So each state split into two effectively, right? Um, now, what is really interesting is that the last time that unanimously 
all markets, all 15 markets in Australia declined in their national median sales price growth, i.e. the growth rate went down in all markets was the GFC. Isn't that interesting, right? And so you might say, well, oh my God, so we had a major economic event which led to a recession, which it did, right? Because we've had other stuff going and we've had other other property market declines like 2017, 2019, whatever. But that was the one that was correlated with a major economic event and that was the one where all markets unanimously kind of did the same thing. They, the growth rate went down in every single one of them, which is a really interesting thing because that doesn't normally happen, right? So the natural implication from that might be that if there's a recession or a major economic event, that all the markets, all the property markets might go down. But here's some really interesting stuff. When we actually dug into it, what we found is that even though unanimously all markets, the growth rate declined, right? 63% of suburbs in Australia, the property values went up. 63% of suburbs, when, a market, when all markets were going down in their growth rate, 63% of suburbs went up in value. What we actually also then f- further found is that the upper quartile of properties, or the upper third, we'll call it, the upper third in terms of um, price of properties declined by an average of 7%. They went down in value by 7%. And the lower third went up by about 9%, right? And so what that shows us is a couple of things. Firstly, that even though markets on aggregate might move in a direction, that doesn't actually show what is happening underneath. And also what it shows us is how people behave in economically uncertain environments. Mm. What they tend to do is they move their capital towards um, more affordable assets. They move their lifestyle towards more, more affordable assets. So we usually see downward pressure or sorry, Upward people people um, people spend down right, so they buy down, which puts upward pressure on more affordable assets. And there's two reasons for that. Number one, actual affordability, so home ownership affordability, cost of living affordability, all of that kind of stuff, and also the relative cost of the property versus the rents that you can achieve from that property, i.e., the yield, right? And so, in an environment where you are not certain about what the economic future holds, you want to own assets that are going to produce more income than they use, right? Which means that you have to have the right ratio of income to cost on those assets. And that typically happens at a lower price point. And I'll just, I'll give you guys an opportunity. I'll I'll catch a breath in a sec, right? (laughs) So the interesting thing about that is that um, there is an inflection point, right? So if we look at what the median sales, what the median prices were back in back around in, in two thousand eight, because we did it, we actually studied this uh, segment of time from two thousand January two thousand eight to July two thousand nine, because that was the period that all of that stuff happened, uh, particularly in the property market. The median prices at that point were a lot lower, right? Now, if we transverse to what the average median prices were in those segments, uh, so for example, in the upper kind of third, the median price was about five hundred thousand dollars. That now would be the equivalent of sort of like one million dollars-ish, right? Roughly. Now, interestingly, property markets behave very differently when they are over $1 million median sales price. And the reason for that is they actually start to behave economically much more like a luxury good and less, much, less like, uh, much less like a real estate asset because at its core, real estate is an income-producing asset like a farm, right? Or like a cash flow-positive business. And real you know, intelligent property investors actually invest kind of like Warren Buffett, right? And so what Warren Buffett does is he looks for 
assets that are going to produce something, right? I.e., produce an income. And to his to borrow borrow from him, if he buys goes to buy a farm and it's going to produce a hundred thousand dollars one year, and then the neighbor starts to sell their you know to to decides to sell their farm for half the price, he's still got a farm that's going to produce a hundred thousand dollars in a year, right? So it doesn't really matter. So you got to look at the assets. And so that distribution of how that works is reflected really well in today's in today's market. So um, I think that there's a lot of opportunity here. People just need to reframe the way that they're thinking, and they also need to um, assess how they're where they're getting their information from. Yeah, that's huge. Can, can I ask something that's probably the opposite of where we're going to go first? Are there any distinct danger zones in your mind in the current environment? Is there anything that you think has become inherently risky as times have become more uncertain? Uh, yeah. So, and it kind of goes back to just those fundamentals I was talking about. Um, I wouldn't want to own a portfolio of assets that produce less income than they use, right? So, if you think about real estate negatively geared or stuff like that, right? I wouldn't really feel comfortable with that. And so, that also applies in business as well because we've recently had like economically a boom, right? And so, businesses might have been going, yeah, let's grow and let's grow and actually might have gone non-profitable with the idea they're going to grow into profits, right? Now would be a really good time to shift gears, right? Now would be a really good time as a business owner to shift gears and say, well, if I'm not that sure about what's happening in the future, let's let's just shuffle a couple of things around here and make sure we're profitable and cash flow positive every month, right? That's a good time for that. And so the same thing applies in property because you know real estate real estate investing is just pretty much the same as business, right? You just you own a own a portfolio of businesses, you know, with the you, you know, we've talked about that before on on this show. So um, the types of assets that I wouldn't want to own or properties that I wouldn't want to own would be ones that don't produce enough income because if you're if there is uncertainty, right, and let's just be hyper pragmatic, right, around this, what if something happens to your income stream? <laughs> you know, what if, what if, right, just what if your business is adversely affected, right, and, in, and it affects what your take-home pay is. Now, you might be absolutely, totally fine with that, but maybe not if you've also got to fork out $1,000, $2,000, $5,000 a month or whatever it is to support your property portfolio, right? And so this is this... This economic reality is inherently why um, uh, Sydney property prices have gone down. And I started saying they were going to go down when they started going up, like in 2021. I was like, it's it's not the, the economics don't work, right? So, and and that's and that's playing out right now. And it's, you know, and I'd be happy to go back to that. But the the same things played out in tech stocks. You know, you've got like Netflix, great business, right? Kinda, except you know people then get worried about the squeeze on cash flow and they devalue it massively. The value of any asset is only ever relative to the amount of cash flow it produces today or the perceived cash flow in the future adjusted for risk. If it's going to produce a million dollars in cash flow in 10 years time, it's a, there's a risk adjust uh, risk adjustment rating you would put on that to, to, to uh, define the value. So I think people could go wrong doing that. Um, personally, uh, personally, I would question a move to become a homeowner in the current environment um, because I would want to be putting my money into assets that produce income. So that's another piece. So we're like, let's look at the yang of Charlie's ying on this one. So like we've spoken about what to avoid and sort of be cautious of. Where where are the opportunities? And let's put a time horizon. Where are the opportunities over like, I don't know, the next one to two years if sort of the recession plays out from a business perspective but also from sort of a wealth creation perspective from your opinion again not financial advice i'm curious just to walk Ooh. through this one let's throw in some context as well right mm-hmm. because 
I feel like often I perceive I have a view on what's happening in investing world. Mm. But the reality is I don't spend every day looking at it or digging into data. This is just speculation based on my YouTube feed and the shit talk we have in Slack, Grant. <laughs> so it's like, you know, how, how accurate am I really? Mm. Now, Goose, on the other hand, is like this is something where you're deep in it, like you're actively participating in the market and have such a unique view compared to everyone else. Like you really are data-driven and not, we'll call it, media-driven. Mm. So your perspective, I'm really looking forward to hearing here. Lay it down. So um, there's... I'm going to talk about property and then, Grant, if I get too deep in property, you can pull me back to some business. <laughs> I've got the fish hook. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the way that I the way I see it playing out, right, is that to to expand to or to continue the same thing of everything I've been saying, affordability is going to be the major major trend. So you got three you got three pillars that you got to look for: lifestyle, jobs, and affordability. Right. Everyone needs economic opportunity. Everyone wants to live somewhere where they feel happy and they want to have a good standard of living, and that kind of plays into affordability. Right. So. Where the opportunities lie in the real estate market over the next couple of years is going to be fundamentally driven by that decision, right? So there are other opportunities in other environments, but I think that I think that that's going to kind of under, underpin everything. So how that is going to play out in reality, like in practical terms, is probably going to be um, that the regions are going to continue to outperform uh, outperform most of the capitals. You do have some affordable capitals, right? So. Um, you know the key to successful investing is to work out where demand is going. Go there first and stand in front of it, right? And so, uh, you know, a lot of people are talking about the fact that the Brisbane has been booming, but like the right time to buy there was two years ago, not now, like right? two to three years ago, sort of thing. Uh, probably three years ago now. Um, same kind of thing goes with Western Australia market. Like that's right on that, right? That's right on that kind of cusp there. And so that, but that plays into that exactly what I was talking about there, right? Lifestyle, jobs, and affordability. You've got to have you've got to have all three of those factors. So. Personally, um, I think that until uh, – well, I actually think that that's going to be a really long trend. You know, I think that there will come a time where it's going to make sense um, to buy back in places like Sydney and stuff like that, but we're probably just going to be a way off yet because it's more volatile. Because you've got you to remember Sydney has like largely decoupled from the, from the rest of the Australian property market. You know, it zigs when the rest of the country zags. There's a common belief that, you know, Sydney leads the rest of the country. If Sydney goes up, then nationally there's going to be a boom. And if Sydney goes down, nationally there's going to be a decline. And, you know, once upon a time that may have been true, but that actually, if we go back to once upon a time when that might have been true, you're actually talking about when the aggregate values were all quite similar, when the Sydney median price in Sydney was not that different to the median price in, I don't know, Perth or in fact in Dubbo or in fact in you know, Townsville, right? You know, they were, they were much closer together. And then that, that actually then, because that's an extension of what I'm talking about in terms of the affordability piece. Because what's happened is that the Sydney market particularly has become radically decoupled from the rest of the country and to a similar degree, Melbourne and um, and Canberra. But even in Melbourne, so the thing about Sydney is it's, it's become more decoupled than say Melbourne. In Melbourne, there are still areas which are performing well, but they are the more affordable areas, right? So you've got to look at that affordability play and also, what's come, what's happening uh, at the moment as well is is a trend towards um, apartments, which is really interesting, right? Now, I am. This is not investment advice, and I'm not saying go out and buy apartments, right? Or I'm not even saying go buy in Perth, right? Because there's an argument to say you might want to get ahead of the curve somewhere else, and you know all of that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, you've got to look at these global trends and understand how do people want to live and where do they want to live and why do they want to live there. And then you've got all these other kind of macro factors, which is, you know, mobility and, and stuff like that with 
because more people are able to work from anywhere, there's less focus on working in the office, that actually encourages people to be able to go and seek out the lifestyle opportunities they want. So there's less demand for you know people to live in cities, but then when they do want to live there, they want to live more affordably. So they want to, they, they might want to go and you know buy apartments. And the, the house price versus apartments, there's a the bigger gap than it's ever been before, particularly in capital cities. Downside with apartments, right, just to be super clear so everyone doesn't race out and just start buying apartments. Um, the downside with apartments is supply risk. So there's opportunities for other developers to build more apartment blocks nearby and then that can increase the supply and you know stagnate the values and, and all that kind of stuff. Plus, you often have other costs in the asset, so strata fees and all this kind of stuff. And plus, you don't own the land, you own the air inside the box, right? So there's some downsides with apartment ownership as well, but I, but I think that there's going to be some growth opportunities there for the right type of portfolio and the right type of investor. But I think that fundamentally, people need to operate from a set of principles rather than rather than like looking for the latest flash in the pan, like what's the hottest suburb now? Because I could tell you all of those too, right? <laughs> but, the, but the point is you actually need to work out what your investment thesis is and what your investment philosophies are. And it's really, it's really simple, right? Intelligent property investors are value investors. That doesn't mean that they're looking for how to buy the cheapest properties or screw people for the best deals. It is simply looking for good quality assets that other people would want to own, right? That are producing more income than they use. Really simple, buying the right property in the right place at the right time. That's what Warren Buffett does, right? And it, and it works. It works really, really well and it's really, really stable. And the thing is then is that when you enter into an environment where a lot of other people are saying, oh, this is a bad idea, it's great. It's awesome because that's the time to get ahead, right? So there's a great quote by Mark Twain, which says, when you when you're standing on the, when you find yourself standing on the side of the majority, it's time to pause and reflect, right? And obviously everyone probably heard, you know, the, the Warren Buffett quote, you know, like, you know, you know, be greedy when everyone else is fearful and all of that kind of stuff. Now, I, I don't like the terms greedy and fearful because it puts the wrong context around how to think about these kind of situations. But but the reality is, right, that if other people are uh, perceiving, a like, perceiving a negative situation and if you're able to cut through that and look at the facts, right, so in, 15, in 12 of the 15 uh, national markets, sales volumes are going up and prices are increasing. doesn't sound like the property market's going to crash to me. Um, if you can cut through the noise and start to look at the facts, you can actually make decisions that other people won't and that's where you get your competitive advantage. And that goes back to your point at the start, Charlie, is like if you can see the opportunity when everyone else is seeing fear, you can actually make massive, massive strides ahead. And now just to be really, I want to kind of just point something out here, right? So my business fundamentally is driven around helping people to invest in property, right? So it might be very easy to say, well, that's all well and good, right? But Goose has got a vested interest and so he's just spruiking up the market and saying everything's going to boom and everything's going to be great. But I'm, I'm also a business owner, right? And so if I thought, <laughs> if, the, if I thought based on fact and data that the property markets were going to decline and that was all going to happen and there was going to be a big crash, what do you think I'd do? I would be designing products and services around that, opportunity, right? I'd be saying, okay, well, what do we do in that kind of environment? Now, I'm not doing that, right? I'm not doing that because there's too much opportunity in front of us. And I'm looking like we have we have like six PhD data scientists on the, on the team and stuff. Like we're not, we're not just guessing at this. This is, this is science, right? And so I think that if people can kind of cut through the, cut through the noise, they're going to see that there are, there are lots of opportunities. Did I answer the question effectively? That very well, <laughs> very well. I'm, I'm like, I always get fascinated when you kind of cut through the 
I, don't know, I just call it the, the mainstream stuff that most people consume and actually Noise, understand. Yeah. Sort of the, the the layer that sits below it. And to your point, Charlie, before, it's like, yeah, yep, cool. All right, Goose, when you've got the data, where does this kind of look at? So from a from a business perspective, like this current, I'm going to call it the current environment. So from a property perspective, makes complete sense. From a business perspective, um, I know we've kind of touched on it a little bit before, but how exactly should they sort of be thinking about this, noting sort of where it's kind of currently at and where it looks to be going based on some speculation? Yeah, so I know it might sound like I'm just banging the same drum here. Right? Which I'm, fi- I'm fine with because I want to hit this home for absolutely everybody. Yeah, so if you're a business owner, right, and so – just to be clear, I'm doing this too, right? So this is not – I'm not just kind of making this stuff up. So because there is economic uncertainty and no one's got a crystal ball, right, what you need to do is you need to prepare for that. So what does that mean? You need to, uh, as a business owner, make sure you're looking at your expenses. Like where uh, – what are you spending money on? How are you spending that money? And what are, what are your margins look like? What are your cash buffers looking like? How are you making sure that you're set up just in case there is, right, kind of something going on right in the future that you need to be prepared for? Once you've kind of got all that in check, then you can start looking again at the opportunities, right? Because you've got to like, you have to protect your downside before you can go for the upside. That's It's really simple, right? Otherwise, you're going to put yourself, you're going to overexpose yourself to too much risk. So protect your downside, make sure you're squared away, make sure you've got good plans, make sure, and even if you don't have rock solid foundations, just make sure you're thinking through what all of the situations might be and specifically how you would handle them if things went wrong, right? Right, because like, having the resources is one thing, but having a plan is also really good and being decisive about it, right? So even if you don't have a million bucks sitting in the bank or 12 months worth of cash buffer or six months worth, whatever it is, right? You can also go, okay, I just like be a a pragmatic, pragmatic optimist, right? But be pragmatic about it and say, well, what situation am I in? And if things didn't go well, specifically what decisions would I make? How quickly would I make them? And what would I do, right? Because that kind of clarity is what's going to set you up to make better decisions. Now, that being said, right, now that you've kind of protected your downside, and this is what everyone should be doing in their real estate portfolio too, by the way, right? So just to be, they're not they're not different, they're the same, right? And so then from there, then you could look at the opportunity. So it's like, okay, got the downside covered. I either have the resources or know what I'm doing or know what my opportunities are and all of that kind of stuff, right? Then you should start seeking out how do I maximize my exposure to upside, right, without maximizing my risk, right? So yeah, in real estate, that's really easy because even if you're increasing your debt, as long as you've got really good income producing assets and they're, they're covering all of their costs, hey, it's basically low risk and it's, it's all good. In business, you could be seeking to do other things which would dynamically change your situation or allow you to own more of the market. So that could be uh, finding ways to offer more services to your current uh, clients in order to um, increase their increase retention, increase margins, uh, increasing or changing your packaging, your pricing, and all of that kind of stuff, changing your model, and looking for those opportunities. Because I think that I think that there are a lot of people who won't do that, and the ones who can think about how can I maximize my opportunity in this environment will be the ones that get ahead. I mean, I know as I, I've said that I'm doing this too, right? So. We are we are looking at exactly that. We're looking at you know cost control. Okay, where are we spending money? Do we need to spend the money there? Is it still appropriate in the current environment and where we're going? You know, all good. Um, how are we shoring up and making sure that we're protecting our downside? And then what are the, what are the opportunities to grow? Like, how do we continue to grow? Right, because if we can triple this or double or triple the size of our business over the next twelve months, when other companies might 
stay exactly the same or go backwards, that creates a quantum that creates a quantum gap between where we are and where they are, right? And so you just need to be able to think strategically. And in order to think strategically, you can't think strategically if you are making decisions based on what you read in the paper today. You just can't do it. Like you, like you can't. You're going to open up the paper and it's going to be like another, it's going to be another bad news story. And then you're going to go, oh my God, what am I going to do to react to that, right? In order to think strategically, you need to be able to zoom out, survey the landscape, make make informed decisions and also know your numbers, right? You've got to know your numbers. I mean, before we jumped on this podcast earlier, what was I doing? I was I was analyzing our financial models. Why? Because I'm thinking about making a decision in the business, right? And so I need to be able to then look into the distance and look at my numbers and go, does this decision make sense? What kind of risk exposure is there? And, and what am I going to do about that? So then how that relates to the business and wealth building kind of side of things, that's also going to dictate your choices around like, is this even the right time for you as a business owner to invest in property? Because for some of you, it might not be. You actually might have the resources there, but it actually might make more risk-adjusted sense for you to just sit on that cash and make sure you've got the buffer to be able to make better business decisions because on a macro in six months or 12 months or 24 months time, that's going to fundamentally change um, that outcome and allow you to do way more stuff, right? Vice versa, right? If you've already got your downside protected and everything's sweet and you're in a a low recession risk industry and you've got everything's nice and stable, you could then, and you've got some surplus cash and surplus income, then you could say, okay, cool, killing it there. How do I then go and kill it over in outside of business and, and start building wealth there? Because there's loads of opportunities there. Yeah. And was it Charlie, Keith Cunningham's like, uh, what's the upside? What's the downside? And can I live with the downside? Yeah. <laughs> like It's like that second order consequence. Um, and there was actually a, a great CEO of uh, one of Australia's largest utility uh, companies that I had a conversation with. And he's like, I do three things in my business. I see how I can make a buck. I see how I can save a buck and I mitigate risk. And so before you even start thinking about, well, how am I going to grow? Whether it be like, I always see myself and my personal investments as a business as well, right? So it applies to me personally, it applies to the businesses as well. I've gone great, not just how do I batten down the hatches because I'm like, oh, maybe there's a recession coming. It's how can I actually grow and how can I continue this thing pushing forwards? But yes, to your point, Goose, I do want to make sure that I've got that risk mitigated. Like I do want to make sure that I am being prudent in the sense of, reducing debt and doing all of those kind of things. The, I, I, I always love it when you jump on these podcasts, Goose, because you always just open up these realms of different thoughts and different thinking, but also back it up by science and data, which is why I love the insights that you always bring in. For anyone who's actually listening to this episode, head over to fullstackbusinessowner.com forward slash partners, click on dash dot and actually get in touch with Goose and the team. They are absolute wealth of knowledge and will help you out in any of your property investments journeys as they do myself and yourself, Charlie. Uh, And as well, when you're listening to this, be sure you're subscribed or even share it with someone else who you think this might actually add some value to. And we're going to continue this conversation over on Facebook. So be sure to join the full stack of business owner community Facebook group. Ask any questions. Goose is in there. He'll be more than happy to help you out. And I just want to say thank you to yourself, Goose, and thank you to everybody for listening. And we look forward to catching you on the next episode of Full Stack Business Owner.